Hello there, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Since the early days of the 1970s when I first started small boat fishing, participation seems to have declined at an alarming rate. Back then along my native foul coast, on a settled day with a big tide from November through to February, you would literally struggle to find a spot to slot into and drop your anchor. Now, in 2012, you would struggle to see even half a dozen other boats. If the jumbo cob was still about, I'm sure it would be a different story. But if I'm honest, numbers of younger people getting into dinghy fishing have also declined for other reasons, including cost and the way in which people lead hermit-like cyber lives stuck in front of computers and game stations instead of getting out into the real world. There is, however, one exception to these remarks. One trend booking going afloat fishing growth area, that being kayak fishing. With this, of course, there are even greater restrictions in terms of suitable weather conditions and access to offshore areas than with dinghy fishing. But equally, there are greater freedoms too, not the least of which are outfit costs and access to stretches of the coast where trail boats are currently excluded, either because there are no launching facilities, or increasingly because local authorities place such stringent restrictions on the usage of their piece of the shoreline that fishing outside of a club is no longer an option. Since the late 1990s, I've watched kayak fishing explode onto the sea angling scene and develop with a widening range of purpose-built boats and all the necessary electronics, fishing and safety equipment that goes with it. So to put the case for exposed coast open water kayak fishing, I'm joined by Pete Shaw, who besides being an angler, is also a kayak instructor. I often see you and a small group of your kayak angling buddies tucked in shore of me off Rossell both winter and summer, where I know you regularly catch some very good fish. So despite the obvious weather-related problems of getting afloat from our exposed west-facing open stretch of shoreline, you are still able to get out there fishing on a fairly regular basis, and more importantly get back safely, which for someone sat on rather than in a small craft which can be carried down the beach, has to be the overriding consideration. So let's kick the interview off by taking a look at the history of kayaks. Kayaks originated from the Inuits. They actually used to sew the wife inside because they were made out of seal skins and sew themselves in and go out hunting seals, etc, etc. So that's how kayaks originated. Where we are today with the sit-on kayak for fishing, a guy in California in about 1971 scooped out an old surfboard and got himself a paddle and that was the birth of the sit-on kayak. And what about the introduction here to the UK? Uh, I'm not quite sure when, when they sort of appeared in the UK. They've been here for a good many years now, in one form or another. But certainly in the last seven or eight years, they've come on leaps and bounds and actually being purpose-built for the job now, for fishing. Prior to that, they were just a, a fun machine, just to paddle out and it's incredible what you can get for the fishing market. The next logical step, I suppose, would be to explore kayak handling and safety. An angling kayak, basically, it's a sit-on kayak with, how can I say, self-draining scupper holes. So it can't get swamped. It's self-draining all the time. One that you would sit inside, you need a spray deck. And if the spray deck comes off, it fills with water and, and that's the end of the game until you tip it out. The sit-on kayaks that we use for fishing are self-draining, so even if you get swamped, as long as you your lockers are shut, you're going to stay floating. 
even if your lockers are open and it swamps, it won't sink, but it won't be comfortable to do any more fishing. You'll be so low in the water, but it, it won't sink. Basically, a canoe is it's by volume. The lower the volume, the less stable the canoe. The higher the volume, the more stable the canoe, if that makes sense. So, something with a wide, long, deep body is going to be a lot more stable than something with a narrow, shallow draft. So, the more volume, the more stable your canoe is. I don't know about trying before you buy. I suppose the best way is to, uh, is to get involved with a group of kayakers and have a chat and maybe let them take you out. You can get doubles. I don't know of any firms locally that will let you try before you buy sort of thing. Safety record of kayaks, um, it's pretty good. A sensible kayaker will have all the kit and he will know the dangers and he will know when and when not to go out. If I go out, especially this time of year, I've definitely got a dry suit with layers underneath. I've definitely got a PDF, which is a personal flotation device. I carry exactly what I would carry if I went out in a small fishing boat. I would have a VHF, I would have flares, I'd have a safety knife if I need to cut away lines. And everything on the boat will be tied in. The paddle will have a leash on it. If the weather's particularly rough and I'm going out, I'll be leashed to the kayak as well. Electronics, fish finders, is probably the basic. If you've got money, you could have a, a GPS, but really, handheld GPS in your top pocket is good enough for a kayaker. Spare oars, there are people that carry the split down spares. You can fit them into, your, into one of your lockers. Um, if your oars leashed on you shouldn't have any problem you shouldn't really need to take a spare one but again it's personal preference following up from that for the handheld gps as with mobile phones there are now seal waterproof pouches available to carry these things in um yeah i mean a couple of lads that i know have the the handheld gps but uh, i think one of them is waterproof doesn't need a pouch and the other lad that does take his is is it's a magellan i think which uh, he needs to put it in a pouch as mobile phones the only problem I see is, is if you're in the water and you've got it in a pouch it's probably a little bit difficult to start then trying to sort out if you need to send a message or you need to uh, find out where you are years ago when I had an open boat I also had a handheld VHF in one of those seal pouches back then they had raised buttons which I guess were easy to press and today's touch screens especially when tucked inside a pouch and bobbing around in the water I would have thought so, yeah. Again, GPSs are great. Personally, I've got a compass as well on the front of my kayak, and, and I know which way I need to go if I need to come back to shore. So, hey, it's the old story. If the batteries go flat, what do you do? So, you know, compass as well. A chart, if you don't know where you are, if it's not an area you know. But definitely, as much kit, safety kit, as you can put in your lockers or your pockets is worth taking. Can we turn our focus now to the kayaks themselves? How much potentially confusing variation is there between models and how best can you work through all of this to finish up with the one that's best suited to your individual needs? It's a bit horses for courses. I mean, the, the Prowler series, which is American, tends to be the, uh, the kayak that most go for. Different lengths, plenty of room for kit, well built. Personally, I use the, the Tarpon 
which is a wilderness system, again, American. It's personal preference. It's what kit you can put on it and where where you can put it that suits you. I like the tarpon because the hatches are locked down with catches, whereas some other kayak manufacturers have clip straps, which I find a bit awkward if you're trying to get into them, especially the front one. It really is personal preference. And anyone interested in buying a fishing kayak really needs to go and look at them, see which they feel would suit them best. And what sort of money are we talking about here? <laughs> um, I guess if you're looking at new, fully kitted out with fish finder and your rod holders, I guess you're looking around the £900,000. If you can't afford that and you're looking for a good second-hand one, then the same spec... There's plenty around the five, six hundred pound mark. Very reasonable, and much cheaper than I actually thought. Well, a friend of mine, he, he goes pole fishing, and he pays three thousand pound for a fishing pole. So, if you look at what you can get for a sea kayak, yeah, it's a reasonable way of getting out in the water. Reasonable price. I suppose the biggest dangers are when going out in flat, calm conditions at high water, with a bit of a rolling swell coming in at the edge, being forced in by changing weather conditions, and falling off when at anchor which in a strong tide could see you struggle to get back to the kayak. You can basically launch them anywhere you want, but obviously if you've got rollers coming in, it's going to be a little bit awkward. Personal preference again is I walk them out over the breakers and then jump on and paddle away. Some people prefer to jump on right at the beginning and paddle through the breakers. Again, it's, it's what suits. It's no detriment. They're all fitted with scupper holes, so they get swamped, they just self-drain. It's not a big deal. It's a bit of fun as well. When you are out there coming up to high water and conditions do look likely to deteriorate, what goes through your mind in terms of forward planning? Because it's never easy with the tide full in and what would definitely persuade you to call it a day? Or might you even be forced to try to sit it out until the water backs off a little? I think it's a little bit of experience. I've kayaked for a long, long, many years and it's like anything else. It's like walking in the hills. If the weather starts to change and you see it changing, then you think, well, there's another day and let's get down or let's get in. And that's the way I've always looked at it. If the conditions are getting where I feel uncomfortable, I go in. There was no way I would want to stop out there. It's not comfortable in a kayak in bad conditions anyway. You're up and down on the waves. So if the weather changes, you pull your anchor up and you paddle in. If it's changed before you actually get back to shore and you've got some big breakers, then you've got a bit of surfing to do. <laughs> but again, it's part of kayaking. You're not going to stay on your kayak all the time. Kayakers come off regularly. Whatever the wind direction, waves always come onto a beach at right angles to it. But as you get further off, that direction changes to the angle of the wind. So while it might look reasonable at the water's edge, Things could turn out to be very uncomfortable when you do actually get out there, particularly if the tide lines you up beam onto the swell. So how well then do kayaks handle and perform beam onto the waves? Just as well. There's no problem. I paddled basically at right angles and it'll just go over the top. As long as there's no white horses on the top there to tip you. If it's just a rolling wave, it'll go over it. It's not a problem. If the white tips, then that's when you've got problems with kayaks. You can go through them, nose on, but not sideways. They will roll you. 
And when you do end up in the water, what's the procedure first for getting back to the boat, then getting back onto it? Well, again, if there's no tide run, your canoe's going to be next to you anyway. It's just a matter of pushing yourself back up over and uh, sit back up. If there's a tide run, I would have a leash on. I carry um, what they call a tow rope, which I used to use when I was the days I used to teach kayaking. And, and if someone's tired behind you, basically I used to teach kids. So if they're tired, you hook them up and you tow them. And the tow rope, really, it's just a belt with a pouch and probably about seven or eight metres of a rope with a carabiner on the end. And what I do, I just take the carabiner out and I clip it on my seat strap, anything that's to the kayak. And if I go over, I don't want to be too close to the canoe. I don't want a short leash. That's your problem where you get tangled. So seven or eight metres is fine because I'm out of the boat, the canoe's away from me, but I've still got contact with it. So I can pull myself back and I can get back on. Ideal, the tow rope's perfect for the job. And what are they like for actually getting back on board? Oh, they're easy enough, yeah. You just, just pull yourself up. A quick motion, you can't, you can't tip them back over again. But if you're quick enough, just pull yourself over. It's not difficult. Just as an add-on to all that, I remember watching a documentary some years ago about some famous ocean-going adventure. It could have been the Contiki Raft Expedition. Anyway, whatever it was, this boat had little or nothing in the way of steering, so in case anybody fell or was washed overboard, they had this long knotted rope trailing off the stern of the boat for anyone ending up in the water to grab onto and hopefully drag themselves back on board. So why not then something similar from a kayak, particularly as it has no propeller to foul? If the tide was too strong to swim, you could pull yourself back to the boat using this. You could, you could, yeah. Yeah, what, maybe with a boy on the end of it. It's a good thought, that, yeah, never even thought of that. It would be no detriment, as I say, no engine. So, yeah, 30 foot of rope and a small boy on the end, it's not a problem. Now, while there are obvious benefits to choosing a kayak over a trail boat, there are also obvious disadvantages too. So can we now compare and contrast these two facets, starting with the advantages? I think the advantages are is that uh, a single person can throw it on the back of the car and the roof rack and go anywhere they want and fish if it's legal and launch anywhere they want if it's legal. That's the beauty. That's what I find. I've had boats, I've had motor sailors, I've had a warrior. I've been there and I've done that. And you're very, very restricted. With a fishing kayak, it takes that all away. If you can get to the water, you can fish. And what are they like for getting down and into the water? Easy. We have a, a set of wheels. You put your kayak on the wheels and pull it. Simple as that. You don't have to lift it. So it, it's quite easy, say at Rossell, if you want to go down at low water and launch, just to walk down with your kayak to low water. The wheels come apart, they fit inside your kayak in your hatch. You go out and fish, come back, put the wheels back together, kayak on the wheels, pull it back up the beach. And put the thing in pretty much anywhere you wish, regardless of whether there's a slip there or not. Unlike me with a warrior, who's faced not only with physical access problems, but also at times legal access too. Anywhere that you can get a boat in, a kayak in, you can fish. Yeah. On top of which, you have no outboard maintenance or fuel costs, no trailer or four-wheel drive vehicle to buy, and you don't have to join a club like I have. The cost implications is buying the kayak. After that, it's zero. It's your bait, your fuel with your car, which you would probably go anyway. But, yeah, no engine, 
there's absolutely no cost, no insurance, and that's it. It's probably, since I've been doing it, the best bit of fishing I've ever done, because I seem to be going out a lot more than I would when I did have small fishing boats. And I enjoy it more. And it, it doesn't cost me anything now. It's just one initial reasonable upfront payment, and that's it. That's it, yeah. Contrast that now, if you will, with some of the disadvantages. Um, I haven't come across any disadvantages. I've met a lot more friends since I've been kayak fishing. Because, say, the numbers are growing. So, if the weather's reasonable this weekend, there'll likely be two or three coming to Russell and you go out with your mates and you can have a good day's fishing. To help things along, as an on-kayaker, I penciled in a few thoughts of my own as prompts. These include getting to the water's edge at low tide, which you've already covered, being restricted at the water's edge at high tide by rollers coming in, even though beyond them it might well be flat calm, the need to choose your tides and areas of tide accordingly to be able to fish, and the need to dress for contact with the water, particularly over the cooler winter months. Yeah, I mean, we, we tend to choose the tides that are maybe mid-morning, so we can get down there at a reasonable time, and probably fish it an hour, an hour and a half before high water. But, as I say, there's absolutely nothing to stop us walking out to low water and fish it in, because we're not having to carry them. They sit on wheels. The only problem we do have at Russell is because it's a stone beach at, at the top end and sometimes there's a bit of a hump, depends on the height of the tides, is to drag it over that. But on the sand, it's absolutely no problem. So walk out to low water, no problem. More potential disadvantages than, in your opinion, with a small boat over a kayak. But technically the kayak is still a small boat. In fact, a very small boat. Yeah, a bit, but it's a lot, lot lighter. You take your gear off, you can lift it on. I have a little van and I put it on the top of the van on my own, it's absolutely no problem. A small dinghy would have to be on a trailer or possibly get it on your car, but would I really want to go out at Rossell in a small dinghy? No, I wouldn't, because likelihood, if anything did happen, it'd sink. Kayaks don't sink. Even if you flood them, they don't sink. So you've still got something to hang on to. All these points considered then... What for you is the biggest draw with kayak fishing? I guess the big draw was that the beach fishing is not that good anymore. And I know that I can paddle out probably twice as far as anyone can cast and my fish finder is showing loads of fish and I'm catching fish. So to me, that's the big advantage over shore fishing. You don't seem to be able to reach where the mass of the fish are off the beach anymore. And that kayak puts you right in there with them. That said, I can go out with the warrior into tidal situations, often where there are more fish, which definitely won't suit you. I agree, totally agree. But there isn't many limitations to what you can do with the kayak. So weighing that up against the disadvantage of having a kayak, that really doesn't bother me that I can't get to some places I can't get to. There's a lot of places I can get to where you can't with your warrior. So it's horses for courses again. So there can be no-go areas in terms of tidal flow, presumably to suit your paddling abilities. The big question is, are these learned on the hoof, or are there sources of information, such as Admiralty Charts, which you can turn to, instead of trial and error and risking getting yourself into trouble? I think with the kayaking, it's a little bit trial and error with the places you go to, because if you're in a big boat, a warrior, etc., you probably don't realise the strength of the tide as if you're sat in a kayak. So 
It's a learning curve. Is you've got to go out and you've got to test the areas. Now I know if I go a little bit too far out at Russell, I get into a tide run that's heading towards Russell Point. She's not a big deal, but on a big high tide, it can be a problem. So I just come a little bit further in and get out of it. It's knowing your, your area that you fish, but I think you've got to be able to experience that in a kayak. It's not something you can get off a chart because um, they handle totally different because you're so low to the water. It's something you've just got to do. And you learn a lot off, off other people. Kayakers are a friendly bunch. They'll tell you the, the places to go and not to go um, and, and that's safe. So it's trial and error. And then log it. So next time you go, you know that you go that little bit further, it's going to be a little bit different. We've already made the point that sea angling kayaks are something you sit on rather than in. And also, to an extent, we've touched on some of the equipment choices this necessitates. But not all of it. So can we now look at the reasoning behind, amongst other things, the use of buoyancy aids rather than true life jackets, the safety implications of buddying up, your minimum basic safety kit and equally important, opportunities permitting, the handling of big fish. In the summer, the only thing different safety-wise would be that I might go out in shorts and a waterproof top, as in winter I'd have a dry suit. I would still have my radio, I would still have flares, I would still have everything that someone in a small fishing boat would have. I won't have a life jacket because I'm going to be in the water at some point in my kayaking life. That's the nature of the beast. CAs tend to be what kayakers have always worn. You've got pockets, you've got places you can put your radio. And they're very good at what they do. Under that would be a dry suit, especially in the conditions we are now in autumn. Wouldn't go out without a dry suit. And under that would be my layers. I'd have a base layer of thermal and whatever I need on top of that if it's cold. Woolly hat, most of the heat loss is, like everyone knows, is through the head. So woolly hat, and away you go. If you fall in, you're dry. So you either get back on, or if you can't get back on for whatever reason, and you're with your buddies, they'll get you back to shore one way or the other. But I've stepped ashore, I unzip my suit, and I'm totally dry. That's the difference. I can see the reasoning behind not routinely wearing a life jacket. It would impede you in all sorts of ways, on top of which the cartridge in a self-inflator wouldn't last five minutes. But I'd still be tempted to at least carry one for particularly hurry situations, as a buoyancy aid only helps you to help yourself, whereas the full 150 newton life jacket will both turn your face up and hold you there, even when you're unconscious. Well, the problem with, with the proper life jacket is, you haven't got the flexibility. Because you're, you're paddling and you're fishing and you're in one position... It just doesn't work. And it's not, obviously, the self-inflating ones you couldn't have because kayakers are going to be in the water at some point, probably throughout the year, quite a number of times. So the buoyancy aid has always been the preferred method for kayakers, and it, it always works. If you're not unconscious for whatever reason, and you're on your own, well, yeah, you're in trouble. So is there not a buoyancy aid out there that simulates a life jacket by providing support at the back of the neck to keep your face up? without any of the encumbrances a full Mae West type life jacket might bring. Not as far as I know, no. That would be a life jacket then? Technically, yes, but it wouldn't be as obstructive and would offer many benefits over a mere buoyancy vest. I haven't come across one. I mean, I can show you the buoyancy aid that I've got and you can 
sort of make your own decisions on that one. But I've never seen one with a collar that's called a buoyancy aid. It, you know, obviously it would be called a life jacket then. Like all small boats working out from an exposed open beach, what can and sometimes does go wrong will be down to individual interpretation of information, such as weather forecasts, which themselves can often be conflicting in their own interpretation when gathered in from a number of sources, as is so often the case. So the ability to cope with the unexpected for kayakers, as for small power dinghy users, is very important. Nobody wants to learn the extreme end of this particular topic the hard way. Are there then any courses or sources of information that can help prepare kayaks for extreme handling events? There are kayak courses, which is basically called the one, two and three star courses. And it gives you the basic instruction into paddling kayaks. So yeah, there are, but they tend to be sitting kayaks and they tend to be on fresh water. But they will give you the basics. They will give you the things like self-rescue how to paddle forward, how to reverse, how to roll, which you can't roll in a sit-on kayak, but obviously you can if you're a, in a sit-in kayak. So yeah, there are courses. Well worth doing. Any course that makes you a better paddler and makes you more aware of safety has got to be worth doing. Finally, on the subject of handling and safety, can we now talk about anchors and anchoring? Basically, my anchor's only a small anchor. It's 0.7 of a kilogram. Probably need a little bit stronger one, probably a kilogram and a half. But basically what we have on the kayaks is a trolley system, which is a big stainless steel ring connected to a pulley system. There's a pulley at the front, a pulley at the back, or pulley at the bow, pulley at the stern, whichever you want, and the ring sits in the middle. Your anchor rope goes through the ring, and whatever attachment you've got, whether it be um, one you have to wrap it round, or one that just self-locks, and then you pull the pulley system and it takes the anchor rope to the back or to the front. And that's it. It's as simple as that. On a strong tide, it's no good having your anchor in the middle. It's got to be either at bow or the stern of the boat. And that's what the pulley system allows you to do. Um, you throw your anchor over. Mine's got about a metre of chain on like you would on a, a normal small fishing boat. You throw it over with the line, hits the bottom... You let enough out for the depth of water through the stainless steel ring, lock it off, and then you pull it to the back. So it's actually sterner bow, whichever is your preference, and you leave it at that. And then when you want to bring it in, unclip it. What I do, I just pull the line over the other side of the boat till my anchor's up, and then it's on a diver's reel, and I just reel it in. As simple as that. When your anchor's down and the necessary three times the water depth of rope has been paid out, though that could conceivably be less in a kayak, is there not a tendency, particularly in a strong tide, for the force of the water combining with the waves to pull the nose of the kayak under the surface? Or is the boat generally so light that it simply bobs over the top of the waves? I've not experienced that. The only thing I have missed is we do have a boy on the line. If you have to throw your anchor over for whatever reason, you can go back and pick it up later. But I've never experienced my bow and my stern dipping with the flow of the tide I have if it's been in the middle and I've not been quick enough to get it to the back I have felt the boat tipping but stern about not a problem once it's out you're fine can we now move on to the main reason for buying a kayak which is catching fish obviously 
and we've touched on this already, you are restricted to some extent in your choice of marks by tides and proximity to the shore, mainly for the reasons of paddling, but not by the quality and size of fish you can catch, providing they're there in the first place. Fortunately, along the Lancashire coast, you don't have to go far out to find good fish both winter and summer. In fact, with a big outboard on the back of a small boat, there is often a tendency to go out too far. So talk us through what can be caught, how different fish affect how you handle both them and the kayak, and some of your own local catches. Well, mainly my fishing is off Russell Beach at Cleveleys, and this year I've had everything except a bass. I'm, I'm most upset about that, but I've had every fish. I've had taupe, smoothhounds, doggies, rays, gurnard, everything except a bass. Um, the size of the fish does affect when you sat solo in a kayak. A good taupe will pull you. It will pull. Without a doubt, it will pull you. A friend of mine's nephew caught a good-sized taupe earlier on this year, and uh, it did get towed for about a quarter of a mile. But that's the idea of being able to throw the anchor over. So you just get rid of the anchor and you play the fish, do what you need to do with it and go back and pick your anchor up and anchor up again and you, and you start off again. So size of the fish doesn't become a problem. Getting it in the boat can <laughs> become a problem. I personally have a gripper. So anything, because I'm solo in the water, anything large, I grip it. And if I'm going to release it, I don't even get it in the boat. I just either unhook it, if I can unhook it, or cut it and away it goes. But... It's a lot easier than you think to get the fish in the boat because it's level with you. It's just a matter of, there you are, it's just a matter of how big a fish can you get on top of a kayak. There are some videos on YouTube where there's some monster fish being caught, but um, I think I'm pretty safe around Cleveland. <laughs> I once saw a £134 common skate taken from a kayak on Loch Summit. Actually, despite the size, big skate are in the main quite easy fish to handle, as if you can get them over on the back which, as with all sharks and rays, puts them into some sort of a trance, you can literally slide them over the kayak in front of you to free the hook. But I suspect it isn't that easy with a good taupe, and I certainly wouldn't fancy my chances at all with a conger. We caught a couple of good thornies last month, and it's just weight. Totally different than a taupe, which is sort of towing you around a bit. I don't think I'd like the experience of getting a conger in with me. I'd draw the line at that, but um, I, don't mind, I don't mind a large taupe. What about your more routine bread and butter fishing? Any amusing anecdotes? It's, it's really, really, really difficult to, to sort of come across that. So I suppose not really with fish. One that strikes me this year is, is we, there were three of us and I guess we shouldn't have gone out because there, there were white tips. But if you could get past the breakers, it, it was reasonable you could fish. And I guess that's been my funniest bit this year because I got, I've canoed for a long time so I didn't have a problem getting over the breakers and this other chap, Eddie, and his nephew on a tandem kayak shouted that Graham had gone over. So I looked behind and it, it, it was rough. I thought I'd better go back and see if he needs help. And uh, I hadn't got 50 feet going back to him and I looked round and there was a wave and I was looking up at it and that was me, I was over. Eddie and his nephew were laughing. They came back to the shore, and we all we, we just we, you know we just experience. That's what you've got to experience. And Eddie said, "I'm going back out." And he got back on his nephew, and you know, ten seconds later, he was over. And I've, I've not you know, I, it's probably one of them things where you say, "Well, you were daft," but the good thing about it was it didn't bother me one little bit. 
But Graham, who's not been kayaking and hasn't got that experience, it did in the world of good because it put him on a level playing field then. So now when we go, he can say, no, I'm not going to do that now. Whereas probably before, he might have done it. So I think people need to, to experience some big waves sometimes, just to level you out. So the bulk of your potential problems are caused by conditions rather than by fish. Yeah, I've not really, I, I can't really tell you any funny jokes about fish because I haven't really had any. I hate catching dogfish. I absolutely hate catching dogfish. But again, because you're in such close contact with them, and you know what they're like, you're going to get rasped unless you're quick and get over the tail in the head. But because you're, you're so close and confined, it's not like a boat where you can just drop it on the floor. And So, yeah, I swear a lot when I catch dogfish. <laughs> you're not your own on that one. I get more than my first year. Just to widen the debate up a little now, give us an overview of what other people both here in the UK and abroad have achieved fishing from angling kayaks. There's no limit. They've been catching poor beagle down Cornwall on kayaks. They can catch what anyone can catch on a small fishing boat. It's just how they deal with it when they've caught it. And that's the problem we have. We're sitting on a small kayak. But there's absolutely no limitations to what you can catch. There's quite a good picture on the website with a kayaker. I think, I think he's in America or somewhere like that. And there's a great white shark following him. And the picture is from above, and you can see this kayak and this shark, which is a lot bigger than the kayak, and he's paddling away totally oblivious to this great white behind him. So, well, I think we're pretty safe in the UK. I don't know whether I'd probably like to go out in, in the States, in Florida, and, and do the same. I seem to remember some New Zealand TV angling programme where they dropped a kayak offshore from a mothership and caught a marlin from it. Well, yeah, but, you, you know, you can't say what fish you're going to catch and what fish you're not going to catch. If, if you go out fishing, you're going to catch whatever's there. The problem is, it, it's the old Joe story, isn't it? I'm going to need a bigger boat. If you catch it, you've got to deal with it. Now, you've explained to us already how easy it is to get back onto a kayak if you end up in the water. So tell us now why people should want to get into a kayak for fishing in the first place. I personally, with my kayak, can go anywhere I want fishing. I would go up to the lakes and fish Windermere on my own. I haven't got a problem with that. It's not tidal. It's fresh water. It's nice and calm. And there isn't a big deal. I wouldn't go out in the sea not too many times on my own. I think the buddy-up system, you can't go wrong with it. Serious, you know. You come off and you're a mile out at sea and you lose your kayak, as the other week some guy did and had to be rescued. Potentially, you can die. So... It's a good fun sport, but there's also a serious side to it. But I got into it just basically because I can fish when I want. If the conditions are right, I can go fishing. I don't have to worry about having to get a tractor to launch my boat. I don't have to worry about what tides, what state it is, low water, high water. I can get there, I can fish. And for me, that's great. I'm retired now, I can go when I want. And if a prospective kayaker is seriously thinking of giving it a go, but is holding back because either he or she has no like-minded friends to go out with, for the reasons we've already mentioned, what then? There's some good websites which will put you in touch with local kayakers. When they're going, pop along and chat to them. What I would say is, if you've never canoed, if you've never been on a kayak, don't buy one and go out on your own. That's a recipe for disaster. You need to go... And find a group that's, and, and they're all willing to share their experiences and talk to them and start from there. 
The worst thing you could do with kayaking is, is buy one, sit on it, get a paddle, go out to sea. That would be just total disaster. It's probably the best thing I've done in the last five or six years is buy my sea kayak. I went up to the Isle of Skye in August and I just wish I'd have took it with me. So that's where I'll be next year. It just gives you that freedom of throw it off the top of the car into the water and fish anywhere you want that's legal. It's the best thing I've done. I mean, say I've had boats, I've had big boats, little boats, but with the kayak, I'm getting out more than I used to fish off the beach now. It's great. You've certainly put a convincing argument forward, though not that convincing for me as a non-swimmer to be wanting to try it any time soon. But it is, as I've already said, the biggest growth area in offshore sea angling, and providing any prospective kayaker takes on board the extensive information provided here, then I can appreciate how offshore sea fishing can be transformed into a regular, hassle-free and highly cost-effective pursuit once again. So for that reason alone, let me thank Pete Shaw for sharing his expertise and experiences with us here.